plug to the MPO Show. I'm your host, Aaron Sopplingo, and joining me today is para-endurance athlete, multi-marathon finisher, including the coveted Busted Marathon, and Lululemon Run Ambassador, Patrick Presgrove. Welcome to the show, Patrick, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, um, Patrick and I actually met in San Antonio a couple of years ago at an ulcer running clinic. Um, we have been even uh, been pitted against each other um, in a final lap on a race. I believe that was two or three years ago. Unfortunately, though, unfortunately though, I lost to Patrick, as this man right here is quite the uh, the athlete through and through. So uh, excited to have him here on the show. So let's start talking a bit about a uh, bit of background uh, for our listeners before we get into running and and qualifying for Boston. Like, you know, um, I read that uh, you had only, you, you had your application back in 2004, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, so how did that come about? I was born with a rare version of legs. Uh, I had a cleft lip and a cleft palate. It's actually the same genetic disorder that Rudy Garcia has, uh, the exact same thing, Poplitio-Torentium syndrome. Um, I was born with my legs, but the way they formed, uh, I could not really walk for any dis- any long distance whatsoever. And the way I walked, I ended up developing arthritis in both of my knees by the time I was uh, in junior high. So at that time, I was in a wheelchair full time, so at home and at, and not at home at school. So the best option for me at that time was to have elective amputation. So that was back in 04. Um, and I mean, I've done everything you just said and more since this, the best decision I ever could have made. Right. Um, so, so did you get your running blades immediately after that? Or like, how did you get back into your sport? I was never an athlete in school growing up. I really couldn't, or at the time, I didn't know what was even possible for an amputee. It wasn't until about 2014, maybe late 14, early 15, I received a pair of CAF blades uh, because a friend of mine, Mark Barr, who's also a Paralympian, single uh, unilateral amputee above me he we had the same clinician at the time and he that's how we met and he said hey you know you can run right and i had no clue he said well yeah there are running blades and you need two of them he said there's a nonprofit called caf here's how to apply i applied they granted me a pair and i put them away for probably close to a year just because i was terrified of trying anything new and and failing anything new. And I eventually took them out of the closet, started running. At the time, I was going to the University of Houston here. And they had an indoor track, and it was a short track. It took four and a half loops to make one mile. So it was like uh, 0.27, or it was, short. it was a short track, but it would take me about an hour to go a mile. I couldn't run for 100 meters without losing my breath, you know, 50 meters maybe. So I just started working away at learning how to run without legs. And I also don't run with knees, so I circumduct at the hip. So it just took a lot of time, and it still takes a lot of energy to run. 
and it just took a lot of time to learn how to run. And eventually, Mark said, well, there's another nonprofit here in Houston, Team Catapult. They have formed a year prior, so this is 2016 now. He said, we meet at the one of the main parks here in Houston every week. Come on out, and I'll run with you, and we'll get you outside and around new people. And at the time, they had a small group of other adaptive athletes that would meet. So I got to find a community I never even knew was there. Um, and it was through finding them that things really took off because they were like, hey, we we already know what's possible because this is what we're here for. So let's get you on track to start find a goal and we'll get you there. Or, uh, and that's really how we got to where I am now. I remember the, uh, the first time I ran a full lap around Memorial Park here in Houston. It's three miles. I ran it with Mark. I remember the first time I ran it without stopping. And besides the first time finishing the Boston Marathon, that's probably my favorite memory running ever was just being able to say I ran Memorial Park, which is like our hub of running here uh, without stopping. And I got to run it with my friend Mark. So that got that got the bug in me to start running more. Ran my first 5K late 2016 in about 45 minutes. Um, and then there was about two and a half years after that, I just signed up for anything I could find. 5K, 10K, worked my way up to a half. So I think I've run about a dozen, if not more, half marathons now. I worked my way up to a full marathon in 2018, which qualified me for Boston in 19, ran that. And then I ran another one, January 2020, full marathon. And then two weeks ago now, I guess, uh, I ran the 2021 Boston Marathon. Wow. That's amazing, man. But so I didn't realize that we're that. Yeah, you're you're two years ahead of me, I guess, in, in the running uh, as, as an amputee. Um, so you, you talked about, you know, the hesitation to run. And, and certainly finding the community, and I've always talked about this, about having the, um, finding the running community that supports you. And that's what I enjoy about, you know, running. And, and with COVID, it was difficult for me to, you know, I can always run by myself, but these virtual runs that we were offering, I did, just did feel like I was part of the running community because I can always run by myself. And we, yeah. we all do during training, but you really need that community to kind of push you forward. Um, so was the hesitation just because you didn't know how to run or you, there was a fear of running on the blades or was it just sort of, I don't really know how to get started on this and the running community help you find that? It was a little, a little of all of that. Um, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know how to run without knees. Um, Cause I, like I said, I don't use, I don't use sport knees on my, on my running setup. It's just, uh, blade and pylon attached to my socket. I didn't know how to even get started. My clinician at the time actually called me over to his house that day. He gave me my blades from CAF and we ran like halfway up the block and back. And that was the first time I had ever really run and first time I'd ever run without feeling pain because I was born mm -hmm. with my legs and I couldn't run, you know, playing in the driveway, playing in the street. But after five minutes, everything would hurt. Just all the arthritis and all the the way my legs had formed at birth. Um, 
but it was a mixture of not knowing how to get started, where to start, and not knowing that there was a community out there, the adaptive community and just the run community here in Houston at large that are just ready and willing and, and waiting to welcome almost anyone, everyone with open arms. And if I had found them sooner, then, you know, maybe I have done even more by now than I have. So they were the adaptive community that Catapult got me into and introduced me to, which then turned into the run community at large. It was really what like motivated me to keep coming out. And then once I was comfortable being out, being outside, uh, they are what motivated me to start setting goals and setting harder and, and newer goals. So, and then the way you and I run as an amputee, as an adaptive athlete, is different than most everyone. But running itself is the same. So I learned so much from the community as a whole. You know, outside of how to physically run, they taught me like everything else you need to know. So that without that, they were my teacher essentially. Without that, I would have been on my own trying to learn it all. So they just motivated me and helped guide me to get to where I am now. And no, I think that's that's good to actually be said for adaptive running because really the only difference in even the way you and I are do run differently because I have my knees, right? Yeah. So I, I still have the the thigh movement to lift my leg up for to get the the uh, the jump or the lift uh, to get my to get the, the cadence of my run. But other than that, the, the whole technique of running still applies. Like the, the, the right breathing technique, the right endurance techniques, the right, yeah. you know, how to get not how not to get tired, the right pace for the timing that you want. I think yeah. all of that still applies to an, uh, you know, uh, uh, an everyday runner or an elite runner. Uh, and we need to still know that. So I, I think that's really good in saying that, you know, whether or not you're an able-bodied runner, you can still part with that information to an adaptive athlete because exactly. they have to adjust that for themselves as an adaptive athlete. You don't have to adjust it for them. And, and yeah. we'll take that in and use it to our advantage so that we can run yeah. better. Now, how do you how did you prepare for your first Boston Marathon? Uh, lots of training, lots of miles. <laughs> the same way I train, I prepared for my last one a couple of weeks ago. Um, just time on my feet. I mean, that's you really can't believe it. You can't believe time on your feet, putting in miles, putting in the hours, especially here in Houston or here in the South. It's just it's so hard to train for anything in the summer, but it pays off so well anytime you go anywhere else that's not the South. So just time out there. Um, and like I, like I just said, you can't really believe it. You can't cheat it. Uh, I've tried and I paid for it. I ran my worst marathon, uh, the one before this Boston, and that's because I didn't train for a marathon. I maybe trained for a half if you think about it, and I'll pay for it. I mean, I hit the halfway mark of the marathon. I was like, oh, man, I was trained for here. I'm not trained for the rest of this. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just time on your feet and being consistent. Yeah, I think that's the important one, especially for us who are adaptive. Um, for me, I'm still finding the change in the ground um, can throw off my, my race, right? A change in, in 
just the way you manage the, you know, and, and I'd like to get into the technical talk later, the way you manage the energy return um, on your blades can throw off an entire race for you and throw off an entire cadence of running for you. But were you running every day? And, and what's your typical week for training for a long run like Boston? Uh, I'm honestly a horrible person to ask about marathon training in particular because I hate it. I love finishing a marathon. I hate training for it. It's just so much time. If you're doing it right, I mean, you can half-ass it and then you can pay for it like I did on my last one. Um, I don't run every day just because, as you know, we're running on parts of my body that are not made to be run on. So, I mean, I couldn't run every day. I couldn't run maybe a mile or 5K, two miles, four miles every day if I wanted to, but our recovery, everyone has to recover, but ours is a little different. And then there are such minute details around like our socket fits or like the angle of our socket on that particular run. If it's off, you know, if you take the wrong step, you can throw off your whole week. You, you might not run for a week or longer. Um, but typically, like going into this Boston, I was running about four days a week, which is one less than I would say a normal able-bodied person would run. But I also don't do extremely high miles. I my longest run for the whole cycle was 20 miles, and that's the same for my first marathon. With so this previous marathon and my first marathon are the best training cycles I have done for a marathon. I got up to 20 miles as my long run. Um, really, I would say that week was my highest mile week for the whole cycle, which was probably 45 miles. And I mean, there, there are able-bodied runners that are doing 100 plus miles every week. But they're right. also most likely running low three, sub three. So, you know, you, get, you train what you aim for. I'm not aiming to be an elite runner. I'm just training to have a good marathon, which is exactly mm -hmm. what we had. So um, if I'm training for a half marathon, I might do up like two or three social runs around Houston in the week and then have my long run, which for a half, I wouldn't run more than 10 miles uh, for that whole training cycle. But it would also be probably half as long as the marathon training cycle. So it really just depends. If I'm training to go out and race a 5K and try a PR, then I might train for a month, maybe two month, months, but I'll really focus on track workouts and speed work. Um, mixed with some e an easy run and then a long run that probably wouldn't be very quote unquote long. So, I mean, just like any other runner, it just depends what you're training for on how we can answer that question. Right. Yeah, no, you talk about uh, some of the, um, uh, you know, uh, downfalls or recovery time for us, if you will, not so much downfalls, but the recovery. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, and, and you talked about socket fit a little bit. I'm still experiencing a lot of socket issues on my right. And so two weeks ago, I went just for a short 3K run just to kind of get things, you know, get the body moving. And I found that I have ripped the bottom of my, uh, my skin um towards the bottom of my uh, residual limb and now i'm out three weeks because it needs to heal yeah. you know it's it's sore when i put my running blade on my running socket on and and people don't sometimes i think understand that that we also have 
just like an able-bodied runner where you may have a shin splint or a blister that you need to heal. Ours take just a little bit longer just because we're encased in a socket, right? Um, and you need to put a socket on to put your leg on to go on about your day. And so um, I'm always talking about... Mm-hmm. Another aspect about that is say some an able-bodied person goes out for a run and they pull something, okay, they can just not run for their recovery time. If we go out and run, something in our socket happens to our residual limb, that's fine. We can not run for however long, but now I maybe cannot put on my normal everyday walking around leg. So now I can not only not run, but maybe I can't walk. And that, and that depending on what kind of career you have, maybe that means you can or cannot go to work. I mean, the stakes are a little higher for us, and we have to be really in tune with what's going on. Yeah, and I don't know what happened, you know, if this has happened to you, but where I, during a race, I have lost a bolt um, <laughs> combination on my on my setup. And I, and I didn't realize it until I crossed the finish line where I had broken off, um, thankfully not my blades, but um, the, 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 the connection between my, my socket and my blade. And I, I didn't realize it until I crossed the finish line. And something like that is so much, you know, affecting how you're going to run for the rest of the the time even or the rest of you know if you break your your leg in the middle of a race then that means your race has come to an end right but for somebody like you know where you you realize it's it's at the end of the finish line but you could also be out running because you don't have a leg anymore right so it's it's a it's a bit different for us that way in that our recovery time and our um you know, our injury time, air quotes, is a little bit longer than than what an able-bodied uh, person would be uh, doing for theirs. Now, what about the endurance races that you do? How do you prepare for those? Because you've done a lot of those as well. Is that correct? As far as like a triathlon? Yeah. I've done one half Ironman distance. I've done a handful of sprint and Olympic distance triathlons. Um, the half Ironman is, I mean, as much as I hate marathon training, I'd much rather train for a marathon than train for a half or especially a full distance triathlon, Ironman distance. Um, just time, just showing up to go swim, go bike, go run over and over and over and over and, you know, mix it up the, two, the three disciplines. Um, and, you know, just like a running cycle, you increase the distance and then you taper um i mean there's really no substitute for time just being out there being consistent um if you miss a week in a training cycle for like a marathon cycle it's gonna hurt but you can build that back if you miss mm-hmm. a week of triathlon training you miss all three disciplines so that's a lot of time you have to make up so really it's just time um there are a lot of nights where i go out at, you know, after dark, because that's the only other time I had left in the day and go for a bike ride at uh, one of the parts here just because I had to get the time in. There's no substitute for it. Right. Now, and I think that's sometimes a lot of people forget to, for for us, you know, um, adaptive athletes, is that we got to put in our time. Because to your point, if you don't put in the time, you will get hurt, like physically get hurt. Um, not just not do well in a race, but also could physically get hurt. You know, just because your body's not um, used to it. So you've yeah. done how many Ironman now? Just the one, or one but you've done multiple. Ironman. Oh, one half Ironman. Okay. And so, 
when you're preparing for an Ironman, do you prepare for a marathon also, or you kind of do one of one training event? No, it would be that would be like my only goal race for months. So that was back in 2018. So I had just come off of my first marathon. Um, and then I pretty much immediately went right into training for that half Ironman, which is only a half marathon, but you have the other two disciplines. And at the time, I was not a very strong swimmer, so I needed some coaching and then, like, solo time in the pool in the lake, uh, open water, just getting, getting, building up that base. And you talk about, you know, we, anyone, but adapted athletes might get hurt. The first thing that's going to happen if you're not trained is you're going to have a bad race, for sure, for sure. But if depending where that base level of fitness is or the base level of experience in any of those disciplines, you can get hurt. That's a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you finished Boston, will you be going in for another training cycle for marathon now? Or So I've heard of able runners who are going from marathon to marathon to marathon. And it seems that they're close, too close to one another for a marathon. Um, do you ever do that where it's a consecutive running marathons, like once a month of marathons? And then how do you prepare for that next one after you just finish one? Or do you say, no, you know what? I just finished one. I'll just kind of keep my momentum of, you know, running at 3K every day and then run a full marathon next. Like, how do you balance that? It really just depends what's coming up. Um, as much as I hate training for a marathon, it's, you know, I don't really want to train for the same one every time. So I'm kind of getting to the point where if I'm going to train for a marathon, I want to go somewhere and have fun and see something new. So depending what races fall, like it's really all just depends on the calendar. Um, like coming off of my first marathon in 18, I, I went right into half Ironman training just because that's when that Ironman that was close to me fell on the calendar. Um, like I have friends that just ran Chicago and Boston back to back days. Those are two any, weeks apart, weren't they? No, they were the, one day apart. This, this oh, were year. they one day apart? Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So it really just depends on the calendar. Um, what was I gonna say? It's not it's not impossible for me to run like back to back marathons one day after another or one week after another. You would just have to train. I would say you would probably have to do more of like ultra marathon training to make that happen as opposed to marathon training and then hoping that carries over to the very next day. Like Shailene Flanagan's running six or she's trying she's trying to run all five major marathons in this month uh at a sub three pace uh she's a, a Olymp olympic marathoner like i mean it's not impossible people i mean ultra runners do this stuff all the time just mm -hmm. usually at a slower pace so it's not impossible um it's really just a question of what's happening on the calendar and uh what i might be interested in and I mean, coming out of 2020, that was a hard year. That would be a really different question if you asked that a year ago, because there was nothing happening. So unless I wanted to run it virtual, and I would not want to run two back-to-back -back virtual marathons. So uh, it just depends on what's going on and, 
if I have time to travel and what looks good. Right. So going back to, yeah, no, I, I share that. It's, you know, the same thing. It's like, oh, you can sign up for virtual. I think earlier on during the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'll do virtual 5Ks. But then eventually you're like, but I'm always just running by myself, which I do on a regular day. So yeah. why am I, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like what I really do the races for is that running community, right? Where you're running beside the same, the, the people that you, that inspire you and motivate you to run. And, yeah. you know, I always joke about, I find a pacer for myself in the race. Mm -hmm. And I go, if I pace with that person, then I'll, I'll make good time. And Very so nice. running by yourself, is kind of like, mm, well, I'm not, you know, so I guess my question is, how did you stay motivated throughout that whole lockdown to train for something like Boston that happened this year? Um, it was actually a very small group of friends, and I, I had actually signed up for a virtual overnight relay with Catapult. I was captaining a team, so it's a 24-hour relay, and I was at our, our running hub here in Houston by 11 p.m., and I don't know if you remember the David Goggins challenge that happened that took over social media a year ago. Mm -hmm. I had a small group of friends doing it, and it just happened to come up on me at the same time. So we talked to each other for a couple of minutes, and one of them made an offhand comment. It was 11 p.m., and it was almost pitch blackout. And one of them made an offhand comment, well, you know the freaks come out at night. So we did a race at night went home and in the next week I think we were like I, I was like that would be a really cool run club name a name for a run club so we ended up making it happen so we made a run club in 2020 it was initially very small and private it was a private chat uh just to keep our numbers low and controlled around COVID and now we've actually just made it public every week so we meet every week here in Houston somewhere new and now we're at anywhere from 20 or 40 people every week. Um, but that was really a, a main source of, mo source of motivation. Like at least one night a week, I am showing up to run with this group of people. And we all know each other, so we all hold each other accountable. Um, and now as a leader of that club, it's even more motivation to keep you know showing up and being an example and making sure everyone else has a good time. Uh, no, that's great. And 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 look at you starting a whole new club. Now, are there adaptive runners other than yourself in this in this running club as well? Or uh... there actually are. There's a couple other amputees that have come out. There's one other guy who's a pretty regular guy who comes out. Um, Houston sidewalks are not AWE friendly whatsoever. I can hardly walk on them. I couldn't imagine living in this city and being wheelchair bound without a car. Um, so it's kind of hard to guarantee a para-friendly run club route, especially since we go somewhere new every week. But we, if I can run it, I'd say most anyone can run it. Um, but that said, we can make it, you know, if anyone hears this and they want to come out to our Houston Run Club, just reach out and we'll make sure any given week is extremely para-friendly. But there are a couple people that come in and out that are adapted athletes. Awesome. Yeah, no, I can't compare. Um, I used to live in Houston, but I can't recall what the streets of Houston look like, but Houston looks like. But wherever certainly they, are, wherever they were then, they're worse. Well, I was going to 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 think back to our time in San, San Antonio and 
you can't even walk in the sidewalks in San Antonio. Uh, yeah. So I can't imagine, you know, as an able body, you can't even walk through uh, this, the, the streets of San Antonio. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm imagining you said would probably, like to your point, could be worse now as well compared to what it was back then. But no, but that is great. And talking about leadership, but I was wanting to talk to you about um, becoming the running coach for, or the running ambassador for Lululemon. I, I remember seeing you post something about that. So can you, can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, back in, what was that me? In 2017, when, I, when everything was, you know, up and running like normal as far as events and, and things, I have gotten really well involved with the run community and the triathlon community here in the Houston area. So one of the triathletes I was a good friend with actually worked at one of the little lemon stores here in Houston. And they have this ambassadorship program. Uh, she passed along my info to the store manager at this particular store. And they put me in what's called a pipeline, meaning they see people in the community doing cool stuff and uh, they try, they like feel them out and see if they might be a good fit for their ambassador program. And the Lululemon ambassador program is a contract that you sign and they really don't want anything in return other than just keep being part of the community and doing what you're already doing. So in 2018, they brought me on for a two year contract and they extended it for one year last year, uh, this year. So. I'm in my third year right now, going into 22. Um, but I'm not a coach, just a, a run ambassador. But as part of that, they also presented me an opportunity for the Global Running Day campaign with Little Women. So they they got me out to New York. And I got to shoot with uh, uh, Colleen Quigley, uh, Olympic steeplechaser, who's actually a signed Little Women athlete now. And a guy named Coffee, he was an activist and a great time runner up there. He leads maybe one of the biggest run clubs up there. We were in a, a global running day ad campaign for the women. And then they also flew me out to LA for another ad campaign around the Seaweeds, uh, their virtual Seaweeds campaign for this year. They got me in the campaign for that in their clothing launch. Um, so those are the, the biggest, like, exposure opportunities they've given me in the last couple of years. But here locally, we've created a 5K, 10K called the Freedman's Town. 5K, 10K Freedman's Town is a award, a part of Houston in the city that was created by free slaves. And it's a historical black area and within there there are many many historical black landmarks that you everyone goes by every day here in Houston you never know they're there so this 5k 10k was a tour around basically around downtown the outside of downtown highlighting various black landmarks here in Houston and then we've created the St. Emanuel 5k which went through historical Chinatown here in Houston. It's no longer called Chinatown. And now our main Chinatown is uh, not even in, it's outside our main boatway. But the Eastern part of downtown was our historical Chinatown and uh, 
Asian American districts. So this 5K highlighted various landmarks in there. And then on top of that, for the virtual series campaign, Houston and San, let's see, the San Francisco or San Diego were the only two U.S. cities that had an in-person event. So we, I created a half marathon and 10K routes based on feedback from the Houston community and Lululemon through like they had cheer stations out there that every cheer station benefited like monetarily from being out there, got exposure for it. Um, we were able to show runners parts of Houston that a lot of us train in, but there are no official races in. So it was really cool to have them run through all these parts of Houston that either they never seen before or they were like, it was really cool to take over the street because we run by here all the time, but no one has a race out here yet. Um, and then we had a great after party. So we were number one in, in America for signups for the virtual series. And then we were number two, maybe number three in North America. We were number three. We only lost behind Vancouver and maybe one other Canadian city as far as registration. So those are all the things we've been working on. It's been a fun three years. Wow, that sounds really awesome to to design a, uh, a an actual route of a race. That's really cool and awesome. Congratulations, man. You're certainly doing a lot of things um, um, with the running community. So, you know, all all kudos to that. Now, from a, from a running blade perspective, just to... to just let's get into to the technical parts of it. So you still have a pylon that you use that's attached to your socket and then your running blades with it. So you, you said you don't use a mechanical knee, right? So from your running, just so that people have an idea of how you run as a double uh, above knee amputee, um, how, uh, you know, I, I and I watch you and I've watched Richard Whitemead to to see how you guys run. And, and so are there, things that you sort of watch out for from a body mechanics in how to run as an above knee and what tips would you give to those who may be looking to run as an above knee amputee? Um, let's see. Like you said, I am above knee. I'm a bilateral above knee amputee. Um, I mean, a lot of times if I'm really locked in, my focus is probably three or four feet um, in front of me at all times on the ground. Um, for a race, like a major race, I will have a support runner like Boston that will either run next to me or behind me and just make sure no one cuts me off or gets too close because I am circumducting at the hips. So if you saw me running, it looked like I'm swinging my legs out from side to side. Um, so I need extra room on both sides to either not clip anything like a curve or, you know, a barrier or, and what happens at almost every race, someone is understandably in their own, in their own zone. So they don't understand how close they are to be cut me off. So we try to avoid that as much as possible. Well, I mean, it, as long as I don't fall. It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt them a lot more than it's going to hurt me if I hit them with a blade. So it's more for them than for me. Um, but really, it's just watching the ground for potholes or anything slippery because not having any, depending on what part of my stride I'm in, 
if I slip on something and this has happened before, I don't have any time to react. So it has happened before I slipped on what looked like dirt. It was actually mud. My foot came completely out from underneath me. And I don't have the knee to I don't have the knee, so I couldn't throw my leg out in front of myself to kind of brace myself because my leg is stiff. You know, it won't bend, so it was kind of behind me at that moment, so I just completely fell. I was really lucky not to crack my head open, but I landed on my eyebrow, and I mean, it was, it was nasty. Um, I've fallen on the track from a blade breaking underneath me, so if I'm all out sprinting um, and something breaks or I, or I trip on something, I'm kind of at the mercy of, you know, a split second of how long I had to brace myself, so I've scraped up my, my shoulders, my elbows, my forearms before. So it's really just looking out for anything minor and kind of hoping everyone else around me is watching out for me. Right. No, I uh, I certainly share that. The one, you know, one of the challenges I, I, I have is people running in front of me. And I always tell people, look, I can't stop in a second here. Like I need area to clear, especially when you're reaching the finish line, because yeah. you want to speed up because you're almost at the end there. But people are slowing down as soon as they cross the finish line where they walk and and you're like, I need that room to, yeah. to clear, to slow down, because otherwise I, I'm going to run right into you and you're going to hurt more yeah. because there's this 200 pound man that's coming fast <laughs> at you behind yeah. you. And you're walking there wanting to pick up your metal. It's like, no, no, clear the way. Cause I'm coming down and, and talking about falling. I fell in front of you behind you, actually, I think in the race that we were doing in San Antonio, in that re relay race that I was talking about where I came home with a broken arm and a broken shoulder, right? So again, just that miscalculated step, which I think sometimes people forget that, you know, people get into their zones, we get into our zones too. But to your point, if you're not looking that four feet in front of you or looking at the ground to just check really quickly what your, where your footing is going to be, again, not only throws off the whole race for you, but throw off your whole run, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So, um, so what has happened before is touching on that point where you, you know you can't stop on a dime, and I mean you can, and I have. I've stopped on a dime in a race or to avoid traffic or whatever. But anything super awkward like that, we're using our bodies in ways to run in ways it's not naturally supposed to. So, any, I mean, we're not, we're not. We're not made of glass. I mean, we're not going to fall apart. But anything super awkward and sudden can really, like, pull something instantly. And then not only is, you know, the rest of your run going to suck, you might it might take me a long time to recover where, you know, an able body can just nod to the right or to the left. If we're, we're running hard in a straight line and we, we somehow manage to stop on a dime or as close to that as we can, you know, we might pull our back, pull our hip, pull our side, you know, pull something that we really didn't have to if everyone else was aware. But right. I also see the other side. You know, I'm in my zone. I'm not going to ask everyone else to not be in their zone. You know, go have a good race. But, yeah, it's, it's just something that we have to watch out for, for sure. If I'm, if I'm barreling into the finish line, it takes me four, five, six long steps to slow down if I'm on an all-out sprint. And that's not like, uh, they call it the Iron Man shuffle, where you're kind of just like moving, you know, you might be doing a 12-minute pace, and you're struggling. Like, we're in an all-out sprint, 
and every step, and we're running on carbon springs. So every step is, you know, if our normal stride is three, three and a half feet, you know, when we're all out, our stride's probably at four, five, five and a half. So that's 15, 20 feet we need right there to come right. to a stop and not hurt ourselves. So, but I mean, that's also half the fun. I know I'm going to cross that finish line and then I'm like, oh, okay, and then what am I going to have to watch out for? So, Right. Yeah, it's all part of it. It's all fun. It's all yeah. fun until someone gets hurt. So luckily, no one has yet. Yeah. No. It's uh, again. You know. It. It. Like to, to your point. It's just all part of the, part of the mechanics, if you will, of running the yeah. way we do. Um. Uh, this is great, man. This is a lot of great information. What What would you want? You know, people to take away from our conversation today about, you know, about being an able-bodied or sorry, being uh, an adaptive runner. And, and starting out, like, to your point earlier about, you know, your hesitation and now being where you are in your running, you know, uh, a running ambassador, um, creating roots for running, which I think is awesome and great. Having your own rank, you know, club now and, and doing all these marathons, including, like I said, most recently the Boston one. What, what would you want uh, people with limb difference take away from our conversation today about just getting started and living an active lifestyle? The hardest part is getting started. That was the hardest part for me. And once, really once, even before I found the community I found, once I was out and running consistently, even on my own, that is what like got me over that initial hurdle. And really, it's gonna suck, it's gonna be hard, but you have to build up some kind of base base level of fitness, especially if you're coming from nothing. You have to have a base base level of fitness. Once you're there, and that's that means something different for everyone. It's not mm-hmm. the same base for everyone, but once you have that base where you're comfortable, just go out. And I mean, you are different. You're an adaptive athlete, but there are so many people that want to include you in what they have going on that they, the last thing they're worrying about is you being an adaptive athlete. They want you to be on that start line and get to that finish line. That's all they care about. Um, I had a lot of self-confidence issues and running got me over pretty much all of them. And the only way that happened was getting out there and getting started. That was the hardest part. And then once you're in the community, you're in because you know people will hit you up every week. Hey, you coming out to run club this week? Hey, you doing this? Are you signing up for this race? Hey, will you you want to race this with me next year? I mean, once you're in, you're in. It's just getting out the door and being consistent with it. And I I would be upset with myself if I didn't mention that none of what I do I know for myself, and I'm assuming for you would be impossible without nonprofits like CAF, like Amputee Blade Runners like Team Catapult, um, like Gary Try, like all of them, we can't, most of us cannot afford to do any of this on ourselves mm-hmm. and by ourselves. And little to none of the stuff, the adaptive equipment we need, whether you're a runner, uh, a push rim racer, a hand cyclist, any of the stuff, none of the stuff is possible without assistance from nonprofits. So that's why it's so important to, as an adaptive athlete, become aware of all the nonprofits that are out there that all they want is to help you meet and set new goals and accomplish those, whether that means getting off the couch and running a 5K, or that means you want to go to the next Paralympics. I mean, that's what they're there for. Um, right. 
if you're a caregiver, like on the prosthetics side, like clinician, it's on you to be aware of all the nonprofits because that you know I went from 04 to 2015, not even knowing what was possible. If someone had told me any amount of time sooner, I could have gotten started sooner. It wasn't mm-hmm. until my friend and my clinician told me, "Hey, have you ever heard of this?" Um, so it's really on the clinicians to understand what's out there and and present it to as many of their patients uh, as possible. And then nonprofits, it's really on you to be working to raise awareness of yourself. Like this, I, I'm COO of Team Catapult. It's on us to raise awareness of ourselves, but it's also on us to help raise awareness of the other nonprofits because we can't do it all ourselves. And mm-hmm. where we can't help, you, CAF can probably step in or ABR or whoever. So right. it's all a community, um, whether it's at the athlete level the clinician or the nonprofit level. It's all on us to raise awareness of each other and prop each other up because I mean without it there's just, there's just so many adaptive athletes right now that are not active and they don't know they are adaptive athletes. They don't know they could be, which is exactly where I was not even six years ago. So right. that's that's my call to action. This, no, this I, I seriously agree with you, man, because I same thing, I, you know, without having found um, the amputee community um, right after becoming uh, an amputee four years ago, I won't be where I am without you, without, you know, our community, without finding all these nonprofit organizations that's been able to help me get to where I am today, you know, in the short span that I have because of the community that's behind me. Um, guiding me and supporting me all this time, I, you know, similar to you, I won't be where I am. And my challenge has been as well, had I not found this, and there's so many other people who have not, then they're also in the dark, not not knowing what is available to them. And so, you know, to your words and, and, my, and our experiences, I absolutely love sharing all that information. And speaking of information, where can people find out more about you? Uh- I'm on Instagram, uh, Patrick Presgrove. Let's see, Team Catapult. We're on Instagram, um, teamcatapult.org. We are a nonprofit with a similar mission to CAF. We have an annual grant program. And then if you're in the Houston area, we have in-person events as long as we're allowed to. So our next major one is going to be our parent triathlon camp coming up uh, in like two and a half weeks. We have Team USA coaches coming down to coach the whole thing. And then we have the Houston Marathon Weekend. Right now, we have almost 30 adaptive athletes. So with guides and support runners, we'll probably have close to 70, 75 people on the course, which is awesome. Um, uh, Freaks come out at night, Run Club. We're at, at Freaks Run Club on Instagram. That's the only place we are. If you're in the Houston area, come on out. We announce where we're going to meet either you know wednesday or thursday morning via our story so come on out let's see that's it man awesome thank you so much for spending the time with me today i want to thank patrick crossbro for joining me today i'll share all the links on my website at www.airstalk.com thank you for tuning in if you have any problems questions or show ideas please connect with me on facebook and instagram at the mtr show until next time i'm your host aristotle domingo and this has been the mtr show podcast